0: Thank you, Will, for that introduction. Uh, but it is—it's—it's it's a great privilege and joy to be here. I—I I think I have two children in here, so I pray I don't embarrass them this morning. They have—it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, you know, it is—it's uh, very surreal to be teaching you uh, in Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to spend some time today. And I think back in my own life, it was uh, 29 years ago. I was in sixth grade. How many 6th graders do we have in here? Yeah, 6th graders. 29 years ago, I was in 6th grade, so you guys are good at math, so that means you probably know that I'm old. Uh, But in any case, in February of 1994, exactly 29 years ago, which is February 2023, I was taught Luke chapter 15. And so it was really neat to think about that as I think about even my own spiritual journey, my own spiritual life, that the reason I remember that is because in February of 1994, when I was in sixth grade, the Lord began to reveal to me in a fresh way through the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, uh, my own need for a Savior and how I was lost and how the Lord provided uh, even for my rescue and sought to find me. So I pray that even this morning, uh, some of you, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, uh, where I was several years ago, you may hear this in a fresh way as well. Uh, and know that the Lord is seeking you out. So, uh, let's, uh, Luke 15, I believe you've been spending some time there. And really, if you recall, I think last week you talked about the lost sheep. There's also a lost coin, and now we're on the lost son. So, the whole chapter of Luke 15 is about lost and found things being lost and things being found. People rejoicing, people celebrating, and people being very excited about that. So, If we remind ourselves of the first story and think about how many of you have ever lost anything, right? So the first thing we lost was a sheep. So if we go to the next slide, how many of you have ever lost anything, okay? So some of you, you may remember there was 100 sheep, one got lost, and the shepherd was like, I've got to go find that sheep, okay? Some of you boys, maybe you have a lot of something. You may have a lot of Legos when you were growing up. You may have a lot of football cards now, a lot of basketball cards. Do you ever have so many that if you lose one, you don't care? Like, what if what if you had a hundred football cards, but you lost that Patrick Mahomes rookie card? Would you go search for it, or would you? "Ah, I got enough. I don't need to go find. it Or as you're as you're building Legos as you get old, as you grow up, and you're like, I need that one Lego. Maybe your dad steps on it in the dark and it you know hurts his foot or something, and that's how you find it. But in any case, do you ever just say, I've got so many, I don't need it? So you just let it go. How many of you ever just said, I'm just not gonna worry about finding that thing I lost? Well, maybe for the girls, the next story uh, was about a woman who lost a coin, right? How many of you girls have earrings? All right? And if you ever lose an earring, does it cause a little stress? You get, you get oh, I wish I had my earring, you know? Or maybe you're just like, no, I got so many earrings, I don't need it, okay? Well, this woman, she lost one out of ten coins. So they went from one in a hundred sheep to one in ten coins to now we're going to look at losing a son, okay? So today we're going to look at uh, the third story here, the parable of the lost son, which is in Luke chapter 15, verses 11-32. Now, perhaps this is the most, uh, people have said this is the most well-known parable that Jesus ever taught. Literally, almost everyone knows this parable. It's been portrayed in so many different ways. So it's something you've heard over and over and over again. How many of you have never heard of the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son? No Everyone knows it. So it is familiar. Okay. How many of you have ever watched a movie more than once? Which movie have you seen more than once? What have you seen? Christmas Vacation. Home Alone, Home Alone is, so what do you have? Home Alone, Home Alone is one we all watch a lot. Jack? What's that? I, I, those are, I, I don't even know what those are, but, okay, well I need to see those then, okay? We got another one? Star Wars is one everybody watches a million times. You know, can I, true story? My children will confess, attest to this. I've never seen the Star Wars, and at this point, it is just a matter of, I'm not going to see them, so I can keep saying that. Uh, One more. Harry Potter. A lot of movies we like to watch over and over and over again. In fact, when I was young, I watched Home Alone several times, a ton, to the point where I knew it word for word. Also, when I was growing up, I watched Rudy every single Thanksgiving. Why? I don't know, but I watched Rudy every Thanksgiving. It was fun. And you know what? Every time I watched it, I would see it a little bit differently and I to learn something from it. So in the same way, even though you've heard this story probably a million times, you can still learn from it, and there's still things that you can see from it. So I'm going to take a minute. We're going to read the parable of the lost sons in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Now, depending upon your, your translation, it may see the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of two lost sons, the parable of the lost son, but it, the... Uh, We'll take a minute and read through it right now. Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living, and we had spent everything. A severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger.' I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, "Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, who has devoured your property, you killed the fattened calf for him." And he said to him, "Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. What a great story. There's so much to see there. There's so much to unpack there. We could spend so much time on this. We don't have much time, but we do want to focus on just a few things this morning and hope that you will see this uh, for what... Jesus Christ is trying to teach us just as he was teaching those in his audience that day. First of all, prodigal. How many of you know what the word prodigal means? Jack. That's right. You can read. Excellent. So you know what? I never really knew what the word prodigal meant. I always thought it was like wayward, rebellious. This is the kid who's just really rebellious. But actually what it means is someone who spends lavishly Okay, he spends lavishly, he spends recklessly. And so throughout history, most people have thought that this is just about a rebellious child, but it's actually about uh, lavish spending. And so if we look at this, how does this parable start? If we go to the next slide, this parable starts with a son who cannot wait. He can't wait. What, What is he asking from his father? What's he asking for? He's asking for money, but even more, he's asking for his. Absolutely, he's asking for his inheritance. And Ellie just nailed it. When do you get your inheritance? When your father dies. So he is asking for something he cannot wait for. Maybe it belongs to him in some sense, but he can't wait for it. He cannot wait for it. In fact, he cannot wait for it so much he just says, Dad, let's just go ahead and act like you're dead and give me what I have. Okay, what's coming to me? Go ahead and give it to me. And so how many of you have ever said, I can't wait for something? I know I have. Some of you it might be, you can't wait for a phone. Maybe you already have the phone. But Like when you were at that point where I can't wait for the phone. Now some of you, I doubt any of you have a car yet. Maybe you do. But you can't wait until you turn 16, and sometimes you might think, I can't wait Until I'm 16, I get that car, and then guess what? I don't need mom and dad to take me anywhere. I can just do my own thing. I can go. I have freedom. I have authority. I have autonomy. I can go do what I want. But maybe you're not ready yet. There's a reason it takes 16 years to be able to drive a car. So in the meantime, you might be saying just like that younger brother, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Just give me what's due to me right now, and let's act like you are dead, and I'll go on with my life. You go on with yours. And so that was his request. So if we look a little bit into this uh, this story, before we go any further, we, we need to know a little bit more about what's going on here. What's the context in which Jesus is telling the story? So if we think back, you know, over the last few chapters of Luke, Jesus has been fully in His teaching ministry. He's telling stories, we call them parables, and He's always helping us understand things a little bit differently, in a fresh way, through the way He tells stories. So there's even uh, in the last chapter, he's going through Jerusalem, He's going through the, uh, the, the villages, he's going through the countryside, He's on his way to Jerusalem. Even in Luke chapter 12, he tells a story that starts just like this one. There's the parable of the Rich fool, if you remember that. A guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, teacher, will you tell my brother just to go ahead and divide the inheritance with me? These people, they really wanted Jesus to rule on their inheritance for whatever reason. But in any case, he said, divide the inheritance for me. So it's a similar story in some ways. And in Luke 14, we read a lot about feast. There's a banquet. There's a feast that people are invited to. They don't come. Some do, some don't. And so there's a lot of similar things to this story that we see Jesus talking about in other passages. So, also, it's important to know who's the audience of this story. Does anybody remember the first couple verses of Luke chapter 15? It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Who is Jesus teaching this story to? Who are the different groups? Tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes. So, we got the bad guys and the good guys, quote unquote. So, we got the religious leaders. And we got the tax collectors and sinners. And so this is who he's talking to. This is the context in which he's doing his ministry. And then who are the characters of this story? How many of you, your parents may have told you a story sometime and you felt like they're telling that story about me? (laughs) Like suppose there were these two kids in a house and maybe you're sitting there with your sibling. You know, it's like, oh, no, they're talking about me here. This is what Jesus is doing. He is telling a story here about two sons that represent his audience, right? So we have a younger son who represents the tax collectors and sinners. We have the older son who represents the Pharisees and scribes. So that's a nuanced way in which Jesus is talking to these people using images or examples that actually point out who these people are. Okay? Besides the two sons, who else is in this story? The father. The father tells us a lot in this story. So as we go through this, as we go through this story, this parable, there are three main themes we're going to focus on today. We're going to talk about the foes. Foes, just a fancy word for enemies, right? So the two brothers, we can see them as enemies. They're foes. We can talk about the father. We can talk about feast, because this ends in a feast. And just like in Luke 14, there were several feasts. So let's start with the foes. How many of you have siblings? A lot, okay? How many of you argue with your siblings? A lot, okay? Everybody. I've got two older brothers. Amazing the way we used to fight and the way we still fight. It is, man, but it's changed, you know. We actually enjoy each other now. And being the youngest of three boys, the fights were always physical. They weren't necessarily, you know, verbal. They were very physical. So some of you, you might be glad you don't have brothers that beat you up. Maybe, but the words are hard. So we all fight. Well, guess what? Ever since the beginning of time, the first family, there's been this idea of sibling rivalry. That's what we call it. Families fight. Siblings fight. It goes all the way back to who we are at the very beginning. Cain and Abel. You ever heard of those guys? Yeah, they fought. No one had to teach them how to fight. In fact, they fought really, really bad, so bad that what happened? Cain killed Abel, right? He was upset that God blessed his brother's sacrifice, but not his. So that rivalry grew so contentious that there was murder. And Cain said, Am I my brother's keeper? If we go forward just a little bit further in the scriptures, we see another sibling rival. This is. Jacob and Esau, or at least a picture of what somebody thinks they look like. Uh, who knows the story of Jacob and Esau? Remember, they were twins. You know the story. Esau was the younger by just a few minutes, okay? And Jacob, being the older, was supposed to get the birthright. The older brother always gets everything, right? He was supposed to get the birthright. But in God's providence, Esau got it through trickery, right? Actually selling that birthright. He can't. Jacob sold it because he was desperate and hungry, and Esau got it from him. And Scripture actually says, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So from the outset, these guys were rivals. If we fast forward a little bit, I use this example, and then I realize I don't even think a lot of you were born. But in 2013, sibling rivalry came to the Super Bowl. Sibling rivalry came to the Super Bowl. Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh, they were brothers. They coached against each other. Amazing. If you're mom or dad to the Harbaugh's and you go to that game, who are you going for? It's tough, right? But then again, two weeks ago, so maybe you do remember this one, there was another Super Bowl that had brothers, and this time they weren't coaching. They were playing each other. And so there was a rivalry in that respect, right? The Kelsey brothers. Which one's the younger brother here? Do you all know? Man, you guys know it. Travis, well done. Travis Kelsey is two years younger than his older brother, Jason Kelsey. Who won? The younger brother won again. I'm the youngest of three boys. I like that, you know? Younger brother's winning. That's a good thing, okay? Well, not to be left out, girls. There's also sibling rivalries amongst sisters. We see that in the Williams sisters. Anybody know them? Anybody watch tennis? Yep, the Williams sisters, they... Arguably, the most accomplished siblings in all of sports history. Serena is younger or older. Which one? If you think Serena is younger, raise your hand. Okay, you guys are right. Serena is younger. Venus is older. Serena won 73 titles, 23 Grand Slams. Venus won 49. So she beat her. And Venus won seven Grand Slams. Isn't that amazing to think about? But perhaps the most famous sibling rivalry that exists is between William and Harry. And guess what? This is a very good representation of our own story. Do you all know who William and Harry are? Okay, yeah, everybody knows that story. All right? And so we see Harry. Oh, these, are, these are two guys, they're the, you know, the prince of England. And they're brothers. And they don't get along at all. In fact, so much so, the older brother, William... Fits the mold of the dutiful older brother, keeps all the rules, does everything right, really guarding the family name. He is earning what's due him in his royal line. Whereas the younger brother, Harry, we all know how that's going, right? He basically was like, give me what I want and I'm out. I'm leaving leaving the country. I don't want to be a part of this royal family anymore. And so we see throughout all of history, there's this problem with siblings and sibling rivalry. And so in many ways, you can say that brothers are destined to be enemies in some ways, apart from God working in their hearts for them to get along, okay? And so we see in these two brothers, in this story, what we see is we see two ways to be lost. A lot of times people say, hey, this is the parable of the lost son, and they're talking about the prodigal. They're talking about the son who's very lost, right? We see that. It's clear. He's he's doing terrible things. But really what we have here is we have two sons that are lost because the older brother is lost in a different way. All right? And so what is similar about these brothers? What does each son ultimately want? What does the first son want? He wants his inheritance. He wants what his father can give him more than he wants his father. You know that? In the same way, the older brother, if we read, he says, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed, yet you never even gave me a young goat. So basically, he's saying the same thing. And the father goes, all that I have is yours. So the older brother, in the same way, he's just trying to get what the father has for him as well. He doesn't care about the father. He just wants what the father can give him also. They're just going about it a different way. And how does each son try to get what he wants? Well, it's clear. The younger brother, the younger son, from the outset, just goes and says, hey, I want it. Give it to me now. I'm not going to wait, and I'm going to go do my own thing. What do we see in the older brother? He actually is trying to earn it. He thinks that what's entitled to him He has to earn it. He has to work hard. He has to keep all the rules. I've obeyed all of your commands. I've diligently worked these fields. I have been a great son. Look at how good I am. You should celebrate me, Father, as how amazing I am as a son. And so in both ways, they're lost. Do we see that? In both ways, they don't really have a relationship with the father. In fact, how does each son relate to the father? Not only are they enemies of each other, or not only are they foes between each other, but in in a clear way, they're also enemies of their father. The younger son doesn't even want him to be alive. The older son gets angry at his father for doing what was the prerogative of his father. So these sons are also foes of their father. And we see here, if we recall, who's the audience here? Let's think about the tax collectors and sinners They are intrigued by Jesus, and they begin to come back to him. And they see when Jesus teaches, they see the goodness of the gospel, the kindness of the gospel, and they are drawn towards him, and they repent, and they move towards him. How does that make the Pharisees and the scribes feel? They don't like it. It says they grumbled. They're always upset that Jesus is eating with sinners. He's eating with tax collectors. He's having them into his feast. And so we see that the older brother, the younger brother, they represent even the audience there. And we see how the son, over time, his, the younger son, his relationship with his father evolves to where at first he's like, I wish you were dead, I'm out, to when he sees the goodness of being near to his father and he says, maybe I can just even be a hired servant. Maybe I can just go work for my dad and at least then I'll have something good. And so he repents. He comes to himself, and he repents, and he goes back to the father. And so we think of these sons being lost, and we say, well, it's clear that the younger brother is a sinner. Is it clear that the older brother is a sinner? How do we, how do we typically think about sin? We typically think about sin as doing something wrong, missing the mark, breaking a rule not obeying. What do we see in this older brother? He obeyed. He did all the right things. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do as a son. But you know what? He's still a sinner because his heart condition is one that sees himself as God, as ruler, as Lord. And so in order for him to even be found, he has to know that he's lost. And being lost is more than just doing bad things. It's the state in which we're born. And until we repent, until that we see that we are in need of being found, we will continue to be lost. And so now we look at the father. This is uh, If you Google father, prodigal son for a picture, it's like the first one that comes up. I was like, hey, that's a good picture. It looks good. Right? Because it helps us see this is a father who is so much desiring his sons. He runs towards them. He runs to them. What do we know about this father? So, this father clearly was wealthy. You know, it was clear to these boys that they had an inheritance. They were either going to wait for it or they were going to ask for it now. They were going to work for it. But there was much there in this father. Okay? He was gracious, he was merciful. This father loved his sons. We see that as well. So much so that it was humiliating in that day and age for fathers to run. For old men, for men to to do any type of running showed that they were in need of something. And so for this father to hike up his robe and go chase after his son as soon as he sees him, he was humbling himself to come to his son. And so this father is merciful. And we see in verse 20 even how the father relates to his sons. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced, and kissed him. And So this was a father who was waiting on his son's return, and he was longing for him to come back. And then in verse 22, you remember the the prodigal. How many of you have ever done something, and you're like, Oh, man, if my parents find out. I gotta, I'm rehearsing the story of how I'm going to tell it, what I'm going to say. I'm going to get caught. I've got to figure out a way to tell him I'm sorry and I need forgiveness. Well, we see that here, right? When the younger son is in the, in the pig slop, he's like, okay, this is what I'm going to go say to my dad. I'm going to tell him this. And if I say all these things the right way, then he'll forgive me. But we see here in verse 22, the son had rehearsed his speech. And before his son even got to the end of his speech, he didn't even get to make his whole speech. The father just interrupted, and he just said, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The father knew his son's heart, and so he didn't even need to hear the words. And his son didn't even have to finish his speech. The father just hugged him, brought him in, and said, We are celebrating the son that was lost is found. And we also see later, even when the older son, when he's angry, Does the father say, well, that's my older son. I'm not worried about it. No, he leaves the party, and he comes to him as well. He comes to him as well. So we see that. Now, let's think about then, remember, how did we define prodigal? What's prodigal? Lavishly spending, reckless spending. In some ways here, we see the father with his mercy, with his grace, with his love for his sons being lavish. He, in fact, is the one who's being a prodigal here. And so finally, the last thing we look at here, are feast. What's the best party you've ever been to? The best meal you've ever had, right? Some of you have probably been to some amazing parties. I think back to when I was your age. My dad was a high school football coach. We loved sports. People knew that. So they would give us tickets to games, and we would be invited to these suites or these boxes, and there was just food everywhere. It was amazing. I was like, I don't even deserve to be here, but I'm thrilled I am, and this is awesome. And it was great. We had so much food. In fact, yesterday, my kids would make fun of me. We went to an ice cream place, and I acted like one of these guys at a feast. Like, oh, my goodness, look at all this. How in the world can we even decide what we're going to have? In the same way, we have a feast here. Many times when you're at a feast or celebration, you're like, why am I even here? Well, it's because maybe I'm in the family. Or maybe somebody else earned something, and they're getting celebrated, so I get to go join them in this feast, right? Well, in so many ways... In scriptures, we look at feasts. We look at the occasion of celebration. In fact, in Luke 14, right before Luke 15, Jesus is teaching and he talks He talks in parables and he's telling about other feasts, right? There's the parable of the wedding banquet. There is uh, other feasts that we see in Luke chapter 14. And we see people coming, we see people not coming for different reasons. We also think much about scripture. Where are we ultimately going if we are in Christ When the story ends, we are going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of this is leading towards a great feast one day. Those who are in Christ will celebrate with him in a feast. Even this morning, some of you for the first time came to the table. You partook of a feast, a feast of celebration, communing with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, communing with other believers. You were part of the feast. And those who did not come, they were invited Come, taste Jesus. Taste that he is good. Come to this feast and celebrate the work he has done. Christ has made us fit to be guests at his table in the feast he is inviting us to. And so, when we think about foes, when we think about the Father, when we think about the feast, we can think about this story in a different way. In fact, I asked you early on, who are the characters in this story? Two sons and a father. But you know what? In some ways, in this story, there's another son and another father, right? And the other son is the one telling the story. The other son is Jesus. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Every story is about Jesus, even this story. And we see that there's a younger brother, Right? We see a younger brother who is working or wanting his inheritance, who's saying, I deserve this, and I want it now. I'm not going to wait. We see Jesus, though, who is obtaining an inheritance for us in the Scriptures. And when he has the opportunity, he says, not my will but yours. He submits to the will of the Father and perfectly obtains this inheritance for us. We see the older brother, the older brother who tries to earn His inheritance. He tries to earn what he wants, who doesn't love his other brother. And we see in Jesus a better older brother who perfectly obeys, who perfectly earns what we need for salvation. And remember, Cain said, Am I my brother's keeper? And Jesus was. He was the older brother who came and sought us and bought us. And then finally, we see the Father. This Father is supposed to represent the Heavenly Father and show his great love and mercy. And this reminded me of this hymn. You may have heard this. You may have sung this at some point. But I think this is a good way to think about this parable, is to remind, remember the words of how deep the Father's love for us. And as you read through that, you see so much of the Son who's coming for his inheritance. He makes a wretch his treasure. We are the inheritance, ultimately, Jesus Christ the wretch make, he makes us from a wretch to a treasure, and the Father graciously gave his Son for us. And so you see the older brother, I will not boast in anything. The older brother boasted in what he did, but ultimately we know that only in Christ can we have what God has promised to us, and it's by his work alone. And so I want, want to close with just reminding you as you read this story and as you grow up and continue to hear these words over and over about a foes, a father, and a feast, that ultimately it was the father through his son he welcomes foes, he welcomes those of us who are enemies to the feast that he has prepared for us. And so he petitions us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, enjoy the feast the work of Christ on the cross. Thank you. Any, any questions? Will, does that mean we're done? Okay. Well, thank you guys. Good audience. The service went a little long, so maybe we're right on time. We'll pray. Well, Father, we do give you thanks and praise for your goodness, your mercy, the way you've demonstrated that to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray today that these young men and women would taste and see, Lord Jesus, that you are good and that they would feast on your word, and they would trust in you alone and not anything they've ever done to be reconciled to the Father. We pray that as we go throughout this day, we would honor you in all that we do, say, and think, and we give you thanks for your faithfulness to us. Amen.